You know, singing is a very important part of our worship. It's um, a very important part of the worship of God in general. Anytime we come across scenes of heaven's worship, it's often portrayed to us in song, a declaration in song. Uh, we aren't to be passionless in that worship. We're to be filled with zeal. Uh, Larry and I often talk about uh, it's not perfection we demand, it's sincerity we seek as we sing to God, um, because it is a great honor and a great gift. Today, as we come to Colossians chapter 1, let me just say that um, no preacher is up to the task of communicating what needs to be communicated out of Colossians chapter 1. And I feel a particular weight, especially in today's text, to do my absolute best to elevate Jesus to you in a way that would leave you uh, spiritually speechless. And I also feel a burden that I am not up to the task. And so this morning, I want us to take a few moments and I want to ask you to pray again with me and ask God to do something only he can do, and that is make himself known in a way that only he can make himself known. To help you, to help me, behold Jesus and all of His glory in this text as we should. So would you please take a few moments, ask God to speak directly to you from His Word, and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll jump into Colossians 1. Father, here we are again, expressing our dependence upon you, confessing yet again that we need you. But this time, O oh Lord, we need you for the most important moment in our entire week, the opening of your word before your people. And we need you to accomplish something that we cannot accomplish on our own. We need you to make yourself known to us. We need your word to pierce into our hearts and our minds. We need your spirit to breathe insight and wisdom and truth. No amount of human words would ever convey what our hearts need to understand. And so we plead with you together this morning, God, and ask that you would, you would help us to behold you. You would usher us into your glorious presence. You would grip our hearts with the truth of who you are. That you would re reveal yourself to us in such a way that we would be left in awe of you. That we would have no other option but to adore you and submit to you and glorify you and follow you. We are the lambs and you are our shepherd. Lead us to this wellspring of life 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you will, take your Bibles and open them to Colossians chapter 1 this morning, back to verse 15. As we focus in on verse 15, 16, and 17, yet again, let me give you a brief recap of last week because we finished up the last phrase in verse 15 last week, the phrase where Paul describes the Lord Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. We attempted to harness within our minds an image or an understanding of the grandeur of creation. Um, the biggest thing you and I can lay our eyes upon or try to comprehend or understand is the universe itself. It is this picture of um, infinite magnitude, of complexities and intricacies and, and splendor that is really unmatched in anything you and I behold with our physical eyes. We can look upon even the smallest details of uh, insects to the, the grandest pictures of planets and stars and galaxies and in all of that, we find something that we don't find anywhere else. We find something magnificent, something enormous, something, quite frankly, amazing. And then we highlighted that all of that comes under the submission of God. As grand and as glorious as the universe is and all of its splendor and wonder, God is more so because God is the author of it. God is the creator the biggest, best, most glorious, powerful example and picture we can have of God is that of Creator. And we looked at several passages throughout the Scriptures that highlight that real and honest fact. That God is worthy of submission, worthy of following, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. If anything, simply by the fact that He is Creator. And as Creator, He has owed those things. Well, then we honed in on verse 15, specifically going from this big view of God and creation down to the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we established this phrase that I particularly enjoy. We highlighted last week that creation is bound up in Christ. And I use that language very specifically and purposefully, uh, bound up. Because nothing in our experience, even us being part of creation, nothing in our experience can contain creation. Every time uh, scientists invent a more powerful telescope to peer further into the far reaches of the universe, they find more. And they find more. They have yet to find the end. And yet, the Bible says creation is bound up in Christ. Last week, we highlighted that creation finds both its existence and its purpose in Jesus. Without Him, there would be nothing. And in Him, we find out what all of this is really about. He is creation's origin. He is creation's goal. And He is creation's sustenance. This is a big and a lofty view of Jesus one that we would do well to pay attention to. This phrase that Paul uses in verse 15, the firstborn of all creation, we highlighted that it means our Lord is supreme over all creation. We reject Arius's view, the ancient heretic 
in the early parts of the church who taught from this verse that Christ was a created being. We reject that. We know what God is actually saying when He calls Christ the firstborn of creation. He's calling Him the heir of creation, the heir of all things, supreme over creation. Christ is totally, entirely uncreated. And He's supreme, as we talked about last week, both in His pre-existence and in His nature. He exists before creation, which therefore means He cannot be created. And in His existence before creation, that must mean, as the Nicene Creed says, He must be very God of very God. For nothing can exist before creation except for God. And so therefore, our Lord Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is supreme over all creation, ruling and reigning and lording over every ounce of the created universe. And quite frankly, beyond. If our minds could comprehend that. Well, today as we come to verse 16, Paul's continuing to flesh out this thought. He's continuing to flesh out the relationship Jesus has to creation, the the created order. And if you remember uh, from several weeks ago, this whole portion of Scripture, verse 15 through 20, the whole point of it is for Paul to elevate Christ to His proper place in our minds and in our hearts so that we might always behold Him there and guard against every false teaching that would come against us. Remember, the, these Colossian Christians are being threatened by false teaching. And every false teaching has one thing in common. It devalues Jesus in some form or another. It says that His work isn't sufficient. Or His teaching isn't sufficient. Or He's not really God. We must add to our salvation. Or do something to enhance our our walk with God. Because Christ isn't enough. And Paul writes this hymn-like passage, verses 15-20, through to remind us Christ is enough. And every false teaching that says otherwise should be put to shame. And what better way to start than by declaring He is the image of the invisible God, the Lord over all creation. That's where we find ourselves this morning. Back in the most powerful, enormous picture that humanity has in the universe. And Paul saying yet again, Christ is above all of it and better than all of it. Verses 16 and 17 are meant to be comprehensive in their language. Paul wants to show the breadth of creation and the breadth of Christ's rule over creation. Look with me in verse 15. We'll read through verse 20, but bear in mind we'll be primarily in verse 16 and 17. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent or supreme. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace 
by the blood of His cross. Creation comes about by Christ. In verse 16 and 17, we find this phrase, all things used four times in these two verses. It's unmistakable, very clear what Paul's intent is. He wants to stress the comprehensive nature of what he's talking about. Christ is Lord over all things. So as far as our understanding can extend, as far as our minds can think, and as far as our eyes can see and our lives experience, Christ is Lord of it all. Christ is over it all and everything has its absolute existence in Christ alone. Not an ounce of the creation that you and I exist in would ever be here apart from the will of Jesus. The things we know, the things we experience, you and I ourselves are here purely by the will of Jesus. In all of the universe church, The will of Jesus is supreme. Fight as you may for your own life. Fight as you might to dictate yourself. Fight as hard as you can to be the captain of your own soul. But the truth is, Christ's will is supreme. And it will be accomplished no matter who fights against it. Nothing has its being apart from the desire of Jesus. In verse 16, Paul mentions another uh, phrase to emphasize this comprehensive nature of creation. So not only does he use the words all things four different times in these two verses, but then he mentions in verse 16 what these all things look like. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, again, all things were created through him and for him. Now, admittedly, it's somewhat difficult to determine what exactly Paul is saying here and referencing here in this phrase. There's a lot of debate what he means by the words thrones and dominions or rulers and authorities. For instance, the closest phrase we have to to this phrase comes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when Paul's talking about spiritual warfare. And he uses these words, some of these words, to indicate spiritual forces. It's abundantly clear in that passage. Other parts of the Bible use these phrases, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, also to indicate angelic and spiritual forces. But I personally am not convinced that's all that Paul's referencing. That's part of the debate, the debate that he's only referencing angelic spiritual dominions. I don't think the context forces us to consider that alone. In fact, we find Paul in this passage going back and forth between the material and visible portion of creation and the spiritual invisible portion of creation. Heaven, earth, visible, invisible. And then this final comprehensive phrase, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. You know, really it doesn't matter. Whatever Paul is referencing here specifically in his own mind, the intent is quite clear. All things are submissive to Jesus. Every angel in heaven submissive to Christ. And every created thing on earth submissive to the will of Christ. 
In fact, the memory verse we've been highlighting says what? That every single knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord. Visible and invisible. Things we see, things we don't see. Material things, spiritual things. Submissive to Christ. Earthly thrones and heavenly thrones. And earthly dominions and spiritual dominions. And rulers and authorities likewise are all submissive to Jesus. So we might say here what Paul really references in verse 16 is the highest points of creation to the lowest points of creation. All of it is subject to the lordship of our Savior, Jesus. Church, that includes you and I. We are forced by Paul here to have a massive view of Jesus we're forced to contemplate Him and all of His greatness and all of His authority and all of His power. And then we're forced to consider that in connection to us. We are not excluded from the phrase, all things. We are included in that phrase. So the highest powers in all of creation, whether they be invisible or visible, to the lowest points of all creation, whether they be visible or invisible, are subject to the will and purpose and pleasure and plan of Jesus Christ. No matter what they say or believe. This isn't a reality that's hinged upon somebody believing it or not. Even for unbelievers... Christ is Lord of all. This makes me consider Christ in a very specific light. It means to me that Jesus isn't a passive sort of figure like He's often treated. It means to me that in all of His glory and grandeur, He is worthy of our entire submission to Him. Our entire devotion. You and I do not have the right to look to God and negotiate. This is a Lord that is worthy to be followed. And worthy to be worshipped whether we like it or not. And this is a Lord and a God and a Creator that's worthy to be submitted to. Whether it's easy or not. Pleasurable or not. Beneficial to our plans or not. And to treat Jesus in any other fashion is to not know the Jesus as the Bible describes Him. To think that you might come before Christ and decide whether or not you are to submit to His plan and His rule is to not know the Christ of the New Testament or the Old Testament. The Jesus that is revealed to us that is real and that relates to us is a Jesus that demands our submission. The first way that you and I relate to God is that of servant and Lord. That's His rightful place as Creator and ruler over every aspect of creation. Well, I want to highlight some other things in verse 16. There are three prepositions here that Paul uses to continue conveying these thoughts. Not only does he express the comprehensive nature of creation... 
but he also expresses the comprehensive nature of Christ's involvement with creation. The first preposition he uses is the word by, by. By him all things were created. Some Bible translations might say in him all things are created. The intent doesn't really change. Notice he also uses the past tense language in verse 16. Things were created at the very beginning when things burst forth from the mouth of God. They come by the hand of Christ. We have been highlighting this already. That not only is everything subject to Jesus, but everything comes by the will of Jesus. But Paul's being explicit here. We need to be explicit here. The Colossian Christians needed him to be explicit here. You and I need him to be explicit here. So we'll say it again. Jesus alone has the power to bring all things into existence. And all things that do exist come through Jesus alone. In fact, John says it this way in John chapter 1. If you want to flip over there real quick, it'll be good for your eyes to see it. John chapter 1, the beginning of his gospel. Specifically verse 3, but we'll read verse 1 and 2 and 3. He writes and he says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. There's both pre-existence and nature. Divine nature. Pre-existing with God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. And verse 3, All things, there's the phrase again, All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jamie and I work with Emberly uh, most every night, asking her a series of questions before we let her go to sleep or go to bed. I say let her, it's really force her to go to bed. Um, but we ask her, who made you? And she says, God. And we say, what did God make? And she says, all things. I love the phrase. All things are made by God. And Paul comes and he's, he's so specifically clear here in verse 16. All things are made by Christ. It's Jesus who exercises this authority. It's Jesus who possesses this power. This is not a puny, passive, negotiable Lord. He is the Lord of all things. The Lord of creation. The ruler and reigner in every portion. We highlighted this verse last week. I told you it's one of my favorites. I want to reference it again. It's Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Paul almost mentions it in passing. He's talking about God and he says, He, he is the God who calls into existence things that do not exist. What a, what a wonderful phrase. And here in verse 16 of Colossians 1, he, he would say that that's, that's Jesus. That infinite and all-encompassing and absolute power is Jesus. We see this in other portions of the Bible where Christ even exercises during his life this kind of creating power. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 and 27. He speaks and calms a storm in the seas that he's on. So much so that at the end of that passage, the disciples stand up and they say, who is this man that, that even the seas and the winds obey him? 
John chapter 2. He's attending a wedding. They run out of wine. And he merely wheels it and water is turned to wine. Here's another one. It's, it's actually important enough to be recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. They all tell us Jesus with just a few loaves of bread and fish feed over 5,000 individuals. Matthew 15 and Mark 8 record another account where he does the same thing with 4,000 individuals. Matthew 8, maybe this is, is the most powerful we, we see. Matthew 8, he heals this centurion servant without even seeing, touching, or speaking, or approaching that servant. The centurion goes to Jesus and says, hey, I've got a sick individual here. And Jesus begins to head that way. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to have you in my home. I know what leadership is. I know what power is. You just speak the word and, and it'll happen. And Jesus says, your servant will be healed. And immediately the servant is healed. Who possesses such authority and lordship and power but the creator himself? Every miracle, every, every act of healing, every divine work of Jesus proves this very point of verse 16 in Colossians chapter 1. All things come by Christ. He is the Lord over all creation and possesses the power to do all that He wills and desires. There's this Latin phrase, it's ex nihilo nihil feet. I pretend that I know what I'm saying. It's a scientific absolute it means out of nothing, nothing comes. But in Christianity, we teach that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. And it is the glorious picture of our God's divine right and power. Jesus possesses such authority. That when he calls out, let there be light. Light has no other option than to come into existence. And burst across the universe. The second preposition that our Lord uses in verse 16. Or that Paul uses to describe our Lord in verse 16 is through. That all things were created through him. He possesses the necessary ability to create. It's a word that's closely related to the word by, through him, by him. But I don't think Paul's being redundant. I think it means something different. I think it means that not only does Jesus have the power, not only does he possess the power to call things into existence, but things must come through him to exist. Because he is the only eternal and self-existent person in the universe. And that's important to understand both as it relates to us and to Him. He alone is eternal and self-existent. That's why evolution 
could never be a real possibility. The universe is not self-existent, nor is it eternal. The created order must not only come from something and originate somewhere, but it must be born from a source that's independent from it. A source that gives to it all that it needs to exist and survive. The universe and us ourselves do not possess what is necessary in and of ourselves to survive and continue on and live. There must be an outside, independent, eternal, self-existent source that gives to the created order everything it needs. That's Jesus. So the universe would have no life if it didn't come from the one who eternally has life. The universe would have no being if it didn't come first from the one who eternally has being. The universe would have no splendor to it if it didn't first come from the one who has eternal glory. The universe originates through Christ because Christ is the only one who is pre-existing the universe. Therefore, independent from it and eternal. The sunset is beautiful because it comes from the one who is beautiful. The universe is mysterious because it comes from one who is mysterious. The cosmos are enormous because they come from one who is enormous. Humanity is detailed. Because it comes from one who is detailed. Creation screams to us the character of God. It's revealing to us constantly the details of our Lord's nature, of His person, of His attitude. That's because it comes through Him. Christ alone possesses the necessary elements to make all of creation happen. So when God speaks in Genesis 1, He's speaking through Christ. He's creating through Christ because Jesus is the agent of creation. Hebrews chapter 1 teaches this very truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. I'll back up to verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, which is the same way of saying that He's the firstborn of all creation, a different way of saying it. And through whom also He created the world. This is a scriptural foundation that the universe as you and I know it comes through Christ. It would be good for us to look at the elements of creation and identify what we can see and know of God within it. Well, finally, the third preposition Paul uses in verse 16 is the word for, F-O-R. 
by him all things were created, through him all things were created, and all things were created for him. This language is used again or earlier in um, Romans chapter 11, speaking of God. Verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then he says this in verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here, Paul specifically makes that applicable to Jesus. All things are created for Him. Out of the three prepositional words that Paul uses, I personally think this is the most important for us. Orthodox and doctrinally sound churches are eager and readily admit that Christ is the Creator of the universe. They have no problem with that. They like to brag and boast on that. It displays the glory and power of our God. But every church and every Christian is constantly tempted to think that all of this universe exists for themselves. And that they are even to live for themselves. And that everything has to do with them. Paul's telling us that creation doesn't just come by the hand of Christ. It exists explicitly for Christ. So nothing in all of creation exists unless Jesus first brings it into being. That includes you and I. But also, nothing exists unless it glorifies and serves the purpose of God. And that also includes you and I. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for our own delights or our own pleasures, or our own enjoyment. We exist purely for the pleasure, delight, enjoyment, and glory of God. Here is where creation not only finds its existence, but its very purpose. What is the point of all of this? To glorify and please the Creator. Jesus Christ. So we might... Say that every star, every sunrise, every blade of grass, every crawling ant, every bird of the sky, all of it exists for the glory of God. For the pleasure of God, the worship of God, the delight of God. You and I, God gives us life, God brings us into being, God places us or placed us in our mother's wombs to be born. God, let us survive birth. God, let us make it to this point in our lives for His own purpose, His own pleasure, His own joy, His own glory. This is an important truth to comprehend because the enemy would do anything he could to distract us from this understanding. To busy ourselves to the point that we think this is all about us and all for us. He would have us think that our lives, we live them for our families, or we live them for our careers. We live them for our plans. He would change our priorities 
in any way that He could so long as we forget that we are here to spend ourselves for the glory of God. You have breath in your lungs. And your brain still has brain waves and your heart is still beating and blood is still pumping through your veins explicitly so that you might glorify God by being here. You and I are created for Jesus. Not for ourselves. As I think about the church and life in general and how short life is, it's increasingly becoming my desire that we would never be a people who gradually fade out of this life. I hope we will be a people who burn out with a quick flash because we've spent ourselves for God. We've spent ourselves in the service to our Lord. And one day we've just spent ourselves up. We cannot continue on any longer. That means we have to know that we exist only for God. We have to know that our lives belong to Him. We have to know that our abilities belong to Him. Our gifts belong to Him. Our skills belong to Him. Our perspectives belong to Him. As does everything else in all of creation. You are brought into being. For Jesus. Well let's wrap up with verse 17 this morning. Paul repeats essentially what he said in verse 15. He is before all things. Supreme. That, that might also mean his pre-existence. But it certainly means his supremacy. He is before all things in existence and in rank. I just want to focus on the last phrase of verse 17. And in Him, all things hold together. It's the last time we see this phrase, all things. And notice, now Paul changes language to present tense. He is before all things, and in Him all things currently hold together. This is who our Lord is now. This is how the Lord reigns now and exists now as the sustainer of all creation. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 1, we see the same thing, uh, very same thing being taught in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Christ is the sustainer of all things. Not only does He possess the power to create, but He has the power to make everything continue on. Energy sources, as you and I know them, they run out of energy. Even science today acknowledges that the solar system we exist in will one day fizzle out. Energy doesn't recycle itself. It spins itself. But God does not spend Himself. He can infinitely and will infinitely exist. And He will eternally sustain 
all things. So everything comes into existence by Christ and everything continues to exist because of Christ. An old reformer named Johann Agricola said it this way. He said, the word is our beginning, the word is our end, and the word is our middle. And he's referencing Jesus. Our entire existence, church, is bound up in our Lord from beginning to end and the in-between. You are sustained by Jesus. If He were to turn His face away, creation would melt into oblivion. But by His will, everything continues. We can take this all the way to the cross, can't we? Even the soldiers who are hammering nails into His wrist and hoisting up the cross that He's on, even they have to be sustained. Their every breath comes from God, even as He's being crucified. All creation, in the most fundamental and comprehensive way, is dependent. Never independent. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be here. Without Jesus, we wouldn't continue on. Philip Melanchthon, uh, Martin Luther's friend and partner in ministry, says it like this. He says, from this we learn that creation, what creation means. For realities are not so made that they can continue in existence without God's help. Rather, God governs them and constantly keeps them in being. As Paul says in Acts 17.28, In Him we live and have our being and move. That realities endure, that we breathe that we live, that we eat, that we speak, that we perform our natural capabilities are all works of God. Nor should we suppose that God will disassociate Himself from what He has made. He is not like a carpenter who hands the ship He has built over to the crew and goes away. In my opinion, this knowledge is useful for the nourishing of faith and fear. Melanchthon is absolutely right. Our God is creator of all things and sustainer of all things. And in that we can trust and face a future of uncertainty. No church. May you look at these few verses and see the glories of Christ. And a sovereign Lord who possesses authority and power over all things. Whom creation itself cannot disobey or question or disregard. The one who by his mere will and pleasure and words calls into existence things that do not exist. And then may you realize with me. As the song says, this creator bows to save. The one who possesses all immense total authority and power. As Paul says in Philippians 2, would humble himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Would step down into creation itself. And would become like the dust of humanity. To save the dust of humanity. This God and all of His glory and all of His splendor and all of His worth 
would care for creatures such as you and I to die for them. To enter into that which He had made. To save that which He had made. Paul will go on in verse 18-20 through 20 to highlight this truth, but let me give you a glimpse of it now. If such a one as this dies on the cross, we can confidently say His sacrifice was sufficient. We do not have to listen to the false teachers who plague the church in every age and at every time telling us that Christ isn't enough. That you need to add to, to His works. That you need to do something besides just have faith. That you need to be this or be that and on and on and on. We can look at the nature and person of Christ and say, if one as great and glorious as He dies in my, on my behalf in my stead, surely, most certainly, His death is sufficient. And I can trust it. This is a Lord that death couldn't overcome, that hell will not overcome, that Satan will not overcome. This is a Lord who says, I guarantee your salvation with my own blood. And church, we can bet our lives on that. This is a grand and glorious Savior. The Savior who possesses all power. And we submit ourselves to Him. And we trust our eternity to Him. Knowing He is able to accomplish anything He should ever desire. Creation itself screams that very truth. I hope you are confronted from the words of these verses with a grand view of Jesus. And that leads either to saving faith or a life that's submitted to His Lordship. Both are appropriate responses. Trust in this Jesus. When He says you can call on Him for salvation, He means it. He has the power to save. And if you are saved by this Jesus, the appropriate response is to surrender your entire life to Him. Not only is He worthy, but He's the only one capable of handling it. Lord, we thank You that we can know You from Your Scriptures like this. That we can contemplate even for a brief moment how glorious You truly are. You're the one who possesses all divine authority. You are the author of creation. The benefactor of creation. The initiator of creation. The sustainer of creation. And in all of that, you are supreme over creation. Let this reality not be lost upon us. Let, us, let it shift how we relate to You. How we view You. How we treat You. How we proclaim You. You, Lord Jesus, are the Creator who came for creation to save us. You are the rightful and only Lord of our lives. 
Help us to submit ourselves to You and to live for You as we have been created for You. In Jesus' name, Amen.